0: This episode is brought to you by 511 Tactical, a company that I've used for over a decade since they supplied the uniforms for Anaheim Fire when I worked out in California. And they have partnered with the Behind the Shield podcast to offer you, the listener, 15% off not just a single purchase, but an ongoing discount every time you shop at 511tactical.com. And I will give you the discount code in a moment. I just want to go on a kind of product focus for a second. In episode 125 of Behind the Shield podcast, I spoke to podiatrist Dr. Mike Donato, um, and we discussed a concern that I've had, which is the footwear uh, for first responders. If you're a firefighter, obviously, if we're doing an extrication, if we're fighting fire, our bunker boots are definitely the best things. They offer a high level of protection. But the day-to-day calls, the EMS calls, all those kind of areas... They are absolutely overkill, some of the boots that we are being given. And I wanted to find a kind of happy medium between protection and comfort as a lot of these heavy, heavy boots are causing uh, overuse injuries, knee pain, ankle pain, back pain. And 5.11 Tactical has come up with a shoe called the Norris Sneaker. Now, this has the feel literally of, of a skate shoe. It's incredibly comfortable. It has puncture protection on the bottom, it has the toe protection on the front, but they've taken a lot of the weight away and made it far more comfortable. I think many of us will admit that as an alternative to duty boots, we turn to sneakers, which are also very comfortable, really don't offer any protection. So this is a great happy medium between the two if you want to see this as i said it's called the norris n-o-r-r-i-s sneaker go to 511 tactical and that discount code that i was talking about is shield 15 s-h-i-e-l-d one five that will be applicable for all of your purchases the only time that's not going to work is when they have an additional sale that's actually going to be higher so if they're offering a 20 percent or 25 percent off obviously that 15 is going to be invalid because you're going to get even more off So, for the Norris sneaker and all the other things that I'm going to showcase that I personally use, I'm not going to start talking about things that I don't use, but the products of theirs that I think are amazing. um, Go to 511 Tactical, put in Shield 15, and save 15% every single time. Welcome to episode 293 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome on the show Dick Hoyt. Now, for those of you with social media, you've probably seen videos of Dick pushing, pulling, running with his son, Rick. Now, Rick was born with cerebral palsy and some other medical issues that prevented him from being able to move, be able to talk. But as you will hear, the pure love of a father enabled him to find the tools to be able to communicate. And the pure love of the son led his father into the world of racing. And at 80 years old, they are still running, swimming, and cycling together As well as inspiring a nation to run and do the same thing and also help fundraise to enable other families in a similar position to also get their child involved in activities like this. So an incredible conversation, incredible exhibition of pure family love and I can't wait for you to hear it. Before we get to that episode, like I say every single week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this podcast on. Subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. The more five-star ratings we get, the more visible we become, and therefore people needing to hear these incredible men and women are able to find this podcast. And then obviously taking social media, word of mouth, email, and sharing these as well. I can't stress enough how proud I am of this becoming a huge library of incredible information, incredibly inspiring stories, And all that I ask is you help me share these men and women's life stories, life work to the men and women on planet Earth who need to hear it. So with that being said, I introduce to you Dick Hoyt. Enjoy. I would love to start at the very beginning. I know that your your early life is very interesting, and I'm sure it kind of plays into to your role as a father as well. So where were you born, and what was your family dynamic? June 1st,
1: 1940. I was one of ten children. We had five boys and five girls.
0: Amazing. Whereabouts were you born? We
1: We lived... We lived in a little town called North Reading, Mass, which hardly anybody knows about.
0: Brilliant. So, and you were kind of around the middle, is that right, of the 10 kids? Yes. Yep. All right. Well, I mean, we're going to obviously hear about the incredible racing that you do in a, later in your life. As a young man, were you an athlete back then?
1: Yes, I was. Yes. Yeah, when I went through high school. I, I played all the sports that they had, and I was captain of the baseball team. I played baseball, tried out for the Yankees as a catcher, and I also played football, captain of the football team, even though I was as small as I am <laughs> and stuff like that. But I just loved sports, and actually, I wanted to be a boxer. And and uh, my father wanted me to be a boxer, and my mother said no. If you become a boxer, you're going to break your nose. So instead, I played football and broke my nose four times.
0: <laughs> I can attest to that. I'm sitting here right now talking to you with with a broken nose myself. I did martial arts for quite a few years. So yeah, either way, it's going to get broken as a man probably. Yeah. <laughs> all right, now if if my uh, research is correct, you met Judy when you were was it high school that you met her?
1: Yes, I did. Yes, yeah, I was captain of the football team, and she was the head cheerleader.
0: But I think it's beautiful, though, that that you you guys were were high school sweethearts. I think that's
1: amazing. Yes, yes, it was. It, it was great. I'll never forget, you know, going through school and all that, and playing sports being involved. I got involved in a lot of different activities in the school.
0: Right. Now, an observation I've made in in America is that, you know, you get these men and women that are playing at a very high level, but when they graduate high school or college, whatever level they got to, then it kind of tapers off. Were you able to continue sports or did you kind of find yourself not playing once you were outside of college?
1: No, I uh, actually, when I graduated high school, I went into the military and I was in the military for twenty-five years.
0: Okay, so then did you do a lot of running and 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 PT early in your career there too?
1: Yes, I did. Matter of fact, they they put me in charge of all the uh, physical activities and running races and getting timed in races and stuff to keep the people that were in the military in good shape and stuff like that. Yes,
0: right okay so then i guess uh lead me into having rick and kind of that that journey up to it and then and then the short time after
1: yeah i like to take it back to january tenth, 1962 and that was rick's birth and it rick was our very first baby and we took when rick was being born the doctor said forget rick put him away Put him in an institution, he's going to be nothing but a vegetable for the rest of his life. And we said, no, we're not going to put Rick away. We're going to bring Rick home and bring him up like any other child. And this is what we have done. Rick has been mainstreamed and included all of his life. Today, Rick is 58 years old. He's graduated from public high school. He's graduated from Boston University. He lives all by himself in his own apartment. And Rick and I have competed in over twelve hundred athletic events.
0: It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. So I want to explore that that whole thing. So I as a as a firefighter paramedic, I've been to facilities where Little boys and little girls have been, as you put it, sent away. You know, they're, they're basically abandoned by their parents because they are special needs. And it's absolutely heartbreaking to watch because these kids exist in a facility. You know, they, they don't have any love from parents anymore. So, um,
1: well, yes, do. Yes, they do, because we have started the Team Hoyt organization, and we have eight different states in the United States, and they call themselves Team Hoyt in the name of the states, and all of their children are being brought up so that they can be out competing and running, and we are building Team Hoyt running chairs, and we compete all over the United States and it's getting bigger and bigger. It's just so awesome what things are going on and happening.
0: Yeah, and that, and that's just it though. So you guys are part of of the solution to to this. Um, now I'm I'm uh, involved in the CrossFit area uh, arena too. So in the last probably 10 years, we've seen a lot of adaptive athletics coming out especially from, you know, so many of the wounded warriors that are coming back. Um, but you, you know, like several other guests that I've had where they've had children or were children that were born with, um, you know, some sort of physical or mental defect, um, you were way ahead of the curve with the adaptation as far as refusing to accept that it should be any different for Rick. So tell me kind of what, what fueled your philosophy and what were some of the changes you made when he was young to ensure that he was able to try and experience the same things that other kids were?
1: Well, see, we, t- we told the doctors, no, we're going to bring Rick home and bring him up like any other child. And this is what we have done. Rick has been mainstreamed and included all of his life. And we got Rick involved in the schools and into sports when he first started school. And he- it's amazing what he's been able to do. As a matter of fact, when he got a little bit older, he s- saw me and he said, Dad, I want to do something, I want to run, and I would like to have you run in a road race with me. And that's how it all started. And at the time he was eight years old, oh, I'm sorry, 15 years old when he asked me to do that. And they were having a road race out in Westfield, Massachusetts for a fellow that was injured and he was paralyzed from the waist down. And Rick told me about the whole story. And he said, Dad, I have to do something for him. I want to let him know that life goes on even though he's disabled. And so I told Rick, we will go down. But we didn't have a chair. The only chair we had was Rick's wheelchair which I know you've probably seen wheelchairs where they're very big and heavy. But we went down to the race. It was a 5K race. Rick and I finished coming in next to last, but not last. And it was just amazing when we finished that. And when Rick saw me afterwards, he said, Dad, when I'm running, it feels like my disability disappears which was a very powerful message to me. If you think about it, somebody that's in a wheelchair can't talk, use their arms and their legs, and now they're out there running, and his disability disappears. He called himself Freebird because now he was afraid, able to be out there running and competing with all the other racers
0: that's incredible. Well, firstly I want to point out so there's a young 15-year-old boy who's thinking more about someone else than himself. So obviously, you know, forgetting the the physical disability side, you've raised a very kind, you know, empathetic young man.
1: Exactly. Yes.
0: Beautiful. Now, yes. another another thing to highlight as well, you weren't in great shape when you started running again. Well, you hadn't you hadn't run for a while.
1: Right. right so after that first race Rick said dad when I'm running it feels like my disability disappears so I told Rick if we're going to continue running we're going to have to get a chair built so I wouldn't be hurting as badly so we went up to Crotchet Mountain in New Hampshire and we met an engineer up there we told him what we wanted for chair and he built this chair for us and it had one wheel in the front and two wheels in the back and then so we got this we come home and Rick and I started to run in different races and when we first started going to these races nobody wanted anything to do with us but we did not give up we went to these races and We would be out there running and a lot of people come up to and say, What are you doing? Dragging your son through all these races? Are you just looking for glory? I says, No, this is my son and he loves to be out there running with everybody else. As you can see with this picture, I had a picture of him smiling with that big smile on his face as we were running. So we decided we wanted to run the Boston Marathon. So I applied through the Boston Athletic Association and they turned us down. They said, no, you can't run with us because you're different than anybody else. But the Boston Marathon has a wheelchair division, so we went and talked to them. And they said the same thing. But that what they said was, if you want, you can line up behind us and run. And that's when we did our first Boston marathon. And it was very difficult at the time because I had never run in a in a marathon. And we had a hard time. And we got to go we, we did it very well and and then we had seven more miles to go. So we stopped and rested for a little while, but then we were able to finish our first Boston marathon. That's-
0: Incredible, incredible. And it's the thing, when we look at, say, the Olympics now, we have the entire Special Olympics, you know, the generation that's coming up would make the assumption that there's always been two Olympics, you know, the the able body and then the, the um, adaptive. But this is a very new thing.
1: Our first Boston Marathon we did in three hours and 18 minutes.
0: Really? My God. Yeah. Incredible. Now, saying on, on the Boston Marathon, just kind of fast-forwarding time, you guys were actually at the Boston Marathon when we had the bombings in was it twenty thirteen?
1: Yes. Yep.
0: So what what was that experience yeah, we, like for you?
1: Well it was it was very difficult. We could stop at with only a mile to go at the Boston Marathon. And now we have team hoits throughout the United States And so there was quite a few people that were running with Rick and I. There was about 10 of us. Then we got to that point and the police stopped us and they said, that's it. You can't go any further. And half the people said they knew how to walk from there to where the hotel was. And we had this gentleman that came out of the crowd and he says, Dick, I have a vehicle up there. If you want, you can use it. And he says, if he can't, he says, I will be happy to drive you and Rick to your hotel where where you were staying. So he drove us to the hotel where we were staying, and it took him an hour to drive that one mile to the hotel. That's how crowded it was and everything that was going on with the bombing. But we got there at the hotel, and fortunately, all the parents who were sitting in the stands at that time came back to the hotel. And fortunately, none of them were injured.
0: Well, thank goodness. Yeah, I mean, there was basically some some more adaptive athletes came out of that. Some of the men and women that lost limbs, you know, that I've seen, you know, are, are racing now again, but obviously with with the prosthetics. So it's it's such a tragic, tragic event. But again, the resiliency of of some of your community is so impressive. Right, well, thank you, yes, right. well, going back to to Rick for a moment so so his actual um uh, condition sounds like a terrible word, but diagnosis is is cerebral palsy and nonverbal spastic quadriplegia so um obviously that that takes away the control of the limbs and also his speech. Tell me how you guys were able to begin to communicate
1: well. We knew Rick was very smart, you know, and what we wanted to do was get him into public school. So we went and met some engineers in Boston, and we talked to them. We told them what we, what we wanted, and we wanted him to start public school where nobody wanted Rick to go to school. And so they built a computer system for us that Rick, Rick could control with his head. And that's how Rick was able to get in and starting school. And he's still using these computers to do speaking engagements and traveling all over the place. And he's graduated from high school. He's graduated from Boston University. And he lives all by himself in his own apartment. And he writes letters to people and everything else.
0: Absolutely incredible, especially when I read about, you know, uh, graduating from college i mean that's a huge achievement for someone that that has to you know use such a, a different challenging way of communication
1: well you know that was probably the toughest day in my life because we lived out in westfield which was a good two hours ride to boston university and for me to drive him in there and drop him off all by himself with people he didn't even know to attend Boston University, and he ended up graduating from Boston University.
0: Incredible, absolutely incredible! Because we we see the video of you guys doing the races, which in itself is is mind blowing. And I want to get back to that again in a minute. But these are the other parts that that you know we don't know about these 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 incredible feats he had outside the races. Um, what was it like for you when this new computer was built and you've f- really got to hear your son's thoughts and speech for the first time
1: yes it was it was just awesome because you know we'd go to school with him with his computer and to see him be able to talk to the teachers and stuff like that and answer questions and do arithmetic and stuff like that on his computer going to school incredible
0: all right well then so so you, you you're you doing the running so how did uh cycling and then swimming factor in you know as you started going down that racing journey
1: well rick and i you know we we love to be out there running and stuff like that and so i talked to rick i said, rick what about doing triathlons you know and at the time i did not know how to swim or anything else And so I told Rick, I said, we're going to start swimming. I'm going to have to buy a new house on a lake so I can learn how to swim. And that's what I did. I was in the process of changing jobs. I was moving from Westfield to Wellesley, Mass. And where I bought the house was in Holland, Massachusetts. So that was halfway to Wellesley. And it was just so awesome because I'll never forget the first day I came down into the lake, and I jumped in the water and swam a mile. And that's how I started doing my training and stuff like that. So it was really nice to be able to live in a lake, and I still live here, and I love to be here on the lake. And, and that's what got us going into triathlons. And I also, you know, we we had to come up with a different type of bike and people used to go crazy because I used to. What I did is I had a bike made, and I put a seat in front of the bike where Rick would sit, sit, and I would drive bike with him all over the place. And people would go crazy as we drove through these different towns and places and stuff like that. Now, when Rick was going to school and college, I couldn't train with him, so I used to take a a ninety 96- six pound bag of cement and put it in the front of the chair and use that to, to do my training with Rick because at that time, that's what he weighed.
0: That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. And I'm sure you got so many funny looks like, why don't you just put it in the car? <laughs> Take it to the building site.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, people, you know, they don't, You still look at us and stuff like that and you say, oh, geez, what are they doing? You know?
0: Yeah. What, so you mentioned about, um, you know, him feeling like, you know, he was, he was running when, when you were pushing the chair. What was his feeling when he's being pulled? Cause you, cause you were pulling him in a dinghy, a rubber dinghy. Is that right?
1: In a, yes, yeah, a boat, a, an inflatable boat. Yeah.
0: yeah. So, so that must have been amazing for him to be in a body of water, which must be very, very new for him as, you know, as far as being on top. What did he tell you after the first time you guys swam like that?
1: he he really enjoyed it he thought it was a lot of fun you know because he was out there you know and he could see all the birds flying around and stuff like that and see other people out there in the lake you know kayaking and water skiing and stuff like that and he really enjoyed you know going all around the lake and stuff and And now we have a boat and stuff like that, so we take him out on the boat and do as much as we can with him in the boat and in the water. Amazing.
0: So, I mean, it seems to me like your whole philosophy was never, oh, we can't. It's just figuring out, well, how can we, which I think a lot of people need to kind of adhere to that philosophy.
1: Well, we made it so Rick could get involved in everything that his other two brothers got involved in. That he he was just like them, it's just that he couldn't do it on his own. So we found ways of doing it with him.
0: Yeah. Well, then one story I, I read about was when they would wheel him around in hockey games. Is that right? And he'd be the goalkeeper?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, he used to love that because we lived right on the lake. And like I said, we'd play hockey out there in the lake and we'd make him... The goalkeeper, and he used to get a piece of plywood and put it in front of the neck so they couldn't shoot. shoot <laughs> that
0: brilliant, brilliant. Um, you, well, going to your your military career. So, um, what you know, what was your main kind of function there, and then and then how did you handle transitioning out? Something I, I ask a lot of the members of the military they get on the show.
1: Well, I, I I started as an enlisted man in the military and i really enjoyed it i i loved being involved in the military and like i said i i spent 25 years in there that, that i ended up retiring from the military and i was able to take with, with me in a lot of different things that i did when i was in the military and stuff like that but uh, I I really enjoyed it. Uh, I, I'm just so happy that I was able to, to you know be part of the military in the United States.
0: Absolutely. And did you have any any struggles though when when you left? Because I know some some people when they leave the fire service, the police service, you know, the military, that transition period is a little rough because they've always identified as a soldier and airman. Um, so what what was it like when you retired out? Were there any negative sides, or was it just a, a positive
1: uh,
0: element no, it that we had to be with positive. him? It was very
1: positive. It was very positive because I met a lot of people, and we get along together. And as a matter of fact, every three months, there's a uh, like six or seven of us, we get together every month and go out to have lunch and talk about the old times and how, what we did when we were in the military. Brilliant. As a matter of fact, uh, in the summertime, I have them come down here on the lake. And, matter of fact, I used to have a restaurant that I bought on the lake. And what we do now is we come down and they order the food that they want to have, and then we go out on a boat. You know, naturally, this people want a beer or two, and Kathy. She's, she's at home here and we get out on the lake and we get about halfway through the, the lake on the boat and we call Kathy up and she orders the food from the restaurant and then we come back and we come up on the deck here and then we have, you know, we have eat together and all that and we do that every year. Brilliant.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, an area that I hear a lot of people that are doing well. They, they have another tribe you know the group of people and obviously i'm sure team hoyt is you know your group but then it's t- uh, keeping in contact with what they did before so yeah that that annual lake trip sounds like it would be amazing
1: yes it really is yeah they 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 just they just love it out here
0: yeah i'm sure well, i mean nature's so healing as well so adding that to it and if some of them especially if they live in the uh, the city they probably look forward to it every year
1: Yes, they do because none of them actually live on a lake except for me
0: right now with just to touching on this because this is something I've never really spoken to anyone about before but so w- with Rick obviously being completely cognizant you know getting all these amazing educational achievements, being an athlete, but you know having limitations physically to be able to express himself, does he ever have periods um you know of mental health challenges and if so how do, how does he overcome it you know um from his perspective,
1: Rick, Rick can come over every, everything. It's just unbelievable to see. See now, now <clears throat> he he lives all by himself, and, and he. But he's he's had a lot of problems, you know, in the last couple of years with the with the flu and pneumonia, and but he's in a home now where he he's, he has his own room you know, and and all that. And they they just love him in there because he has a computer that he talks with and they they love to go in and be able to talk with him. And they have a a lot of company there. And so he's one of the highlights of this place that, that he is living now. And fortunately, he's only like 12 miles away from where I live, so I get to see him quite a bit. But right now with everything that's going on because of my age, I'm 80 years old, they won't let me go visit him. You follow me?
0: Oh, yes, sir. Yeah. If you
1: look, look, if you look at what's going on, the older you get, the more they want to set you out of the way from everything else. Not visit and right now, they are not letting everybody, anybody go and visit him.
0: Yeah. Now, my uh, my grandmother is 102, and it's the same thing. She's uh, She's, you know isolated in in her home at the moment too and i, and I understand it i mean it, there is a lot of a lot of sense to it but i think the the sad byproduct is that it's keeping people away from each other people that that love to spend time together
1: right yeah but see we do but we do a lot with rick because where he's staying he has his own vehicle and so me and my youngest son, we go over and visit them every weekend or wherever we can. And we take him bowling and we take him to the movies and all different things. So we really have a good time and we're able to spend that with Rick and for him to spend the time with us.
0: All right. Well, I've got one more kind of area I want to explore and then and then we'll do some wrap up questions and obviously talk about Team Hoyt. But, um you are 80. You're still not only racing, but, you know, pushing ricks. So adding a lot more exertion to what would normally be a run, a bike or a swim. Um, how have you managed to take care of your body and, and perform so highly for so many years?
1: Yeah, I've been very, very fortunate, but I keep myself in good shape. You know, I, ne- I never give up and stuff like that. But unfortunately, I was in an automobile accident. And I was all by myself. And what happened was, I was driving home from the club where I work out, and I got halfway home, and I fainted in the car, and the car went off the road and crashed. So I'm in the process of recovering from that right now. And I had a heart issue and stuff like that. So it was just unbelievable what happened.
0: Yeah. I'm sorry to hear about that, but I'm so, I'm glad that you were, you know, okay. Because I mean, that's the thing people don't think about, you know, behind the wheels. If we have a seizure, if we have a, a heart arrhythmia, or you know, a, a minor stroke. I mean, all those things can lead to you know a very very bad wreck on the road. So I'm glad that you were okay.
1: Yeah. Well, it, I learned a lot from it too because you know when this was happening, I could feel it. And, and you know, and I was going off the road, and if I had just turned the key off, it never would have happened, you know, and stuff like that. So I have learned a lot from it, so I can talk to other people if it ever happens to them, what's the best thing to do.
0: Absolutely. All right, well, I'm going to spend some time exploring the Hoyt Foundation. So tell me, you know, how it started and then how people can help contribute.
1: We started the Hoyt Foundation years and years ago, and it's just getting bigger and bigger. It's growing and growing. I think I told you, like, we got eight different states in the United States. And a matter of fact, I got a call from Russia, and they want to start a Team Hoyt over there. And they're, they're building Team Hoyt running chairs now, and Russia is buying the Team Hoyt running chairs and competing an island is another one. they're unbelievable these different countries that want to get involved in what Rick and I are doing. As you can see, it's getting bigger and bigger in the United States, and I think it's going to get bigger and bigger in all these other states. Rick and I have competed in Ironman triathlons in Canada, in Germany, in Japan, and we went to El Salvador when we were at war. Now, all these races we do it's just Rick and I, we go out and we call up and we make our own arrangements and to compete in all these races all over the world. We don't have anybody out there to do it for us, so we do everything ourselves. Oh, I'm sorry. Kathy just said she does it. And she does. <laughs> Julie knows she it. She does. <laughs> she makes, you know, she calls all, all of these visitors and stuff and sets everything up. Yeah. Yeah. If it wasn't for her, we probably wouldn't be out there doing all this stuff. Yeah. So it's a team, the three of you. But like she said, we do the running, and yeah. she does all the work.
0: So how how can people contribute? So so let me just kind of backtrack. So basically, what you guys are doing, obviously, you guys are racing, but you're also enabling other families with with uh, you know family members that are affected to also be able to to race now. Is that correct?
1: That is exactly correct. Yes, yes, and they're building team white running chairs, and we get all these different families from all different states. And we compete in in, in different races, uh, uh, you know, at different times. And a lot of times now, they're starting to spread out with all these different states. And they'll they'll come and compete in different states so we can all get together and compete together. And I just feel it's going to get larger and larger if, as the years go on.
0: If people donate, they're basically... Uh helping you guys to make the chairs and organize the races and, and get more people involved. Is that right?
1: Yes, but most of the people, they have to buy the chairs, you know. We we try to help them out, but we can't help all the people out as far as being, because I, I, we don't make the chairs. The people that make them call them the Team Hoyt Running Chairs, but they're doing that, you know, and they can't do it for nothing. Yeah, absolutely. So we don't. We don't make any money off or anything.
0: And where can people find Team Hoyt online?
1: We got our own website. It's a big website. Team Hoyt.com. Brilliant.
0: And I will put the link to that on the, the webpage that goes with this episode. Um, well, Dick, you you guys also wrote a, uh, a book. It's Only a Mountain. So tell me about that experience.
1: That, that was unbelievable, you know, because I'm not one of those guys that write books and stuff like that. But I I met a guy that was a a runner and stuff like that down in Florida. So he came up here and we ran ran some races together. And then I went down and visited him in Florida. And so we were able to write that book. But since then, Rick has written a couple of books too. So we got a lot of books and we do have DVDs out that are very powerful. That a lot of people buy and use to inspire and motivate themselves to get out there doing what Rick and I are doing.
0: Yeah, well, I can tell you right now, the the one of the videos that went around social media um, you know, when when I was first made aware of you guys was incredibly inspirational, absolutely inspirational. So I'm, I can imagine that the books and the DVDs would really, you know, light a fire up a lot of our rear ends. So I'll make sure that I put all those on the website as well.
1: Right. That would be awesome.
0: Brilliant. All right. Well then um one more question before I just make sure we know where we can find you online. What do you do to decompress when when you're not racing? You know, is there something else that you love to do?
1: Yes. I go to the gym a lot. Because I, I, I love to go to the gym, and I love to work out. I love to keep my body in condition <clears throat> so I can go anything and do anything that I want to do at any time. <clears throat> I've had that little problem, like I said, with the automobile accident. But hopefully within the next couple of, at least another month or so, I can get out and start running again. The doctors did say that I will be back running and stuff. So
0: oh, I don't doubt it for a second. Now that just meant, there's one thing I meant to ask you earlier as well. Is there anything in your childhood or even your your earlier military training that you attribute to your mental toughness? Because of course, you know you you were physically uh, able to do these races when it came to the point. But the first race you did, you never run. You know when you did your triathlon, you never swam. So clearly, there's a huge element of, of mental toughness. Is there anything when you look back that you kind of attribute that to?
1: Well, I, 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 you know, I was one of ten in a family. And I got involved in everything when I was very young, in the first grade and stuff like that. I'd come home and and I'd go out in the woods and chop down trees and branches so we could have a fire going in our furnace and stuff like that. And when I was six years old, I used to go down and milk cows and I'd get 10 cents a day and they'd give me a little pint of milk to take home and, and stuff like that. But I started at a very young age of getting involved in a lot of things. And and starting making money when I was 16 years old, I had all the money that I could go out and buy a car and all of that stuff. But I'm just one of those guys that like to be out there working and do everything the hard way. But I love doing it, and it keeps me in great shape, and I get to meet a lot of great people.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I just want to say thank you so much. You You and Rick have literally inspired – I wouldn't say a nation, obviously the globe – um But I think, as a parent, you know you've inspired me, and I'm sure so many people listening as well because you refuse to let other people define you know your love for your child, and I think that's admirable, and obviously it's you know clearly paid huge dividends in in both your lives. but I just again want to say thank you for for being so generous with your time and and telling your story even- amidst this bizarre time that we're in right now right
1: but you know you know a lot of things have happened like we have a big statue down at the start of the Boston Marathon you know of Rick and I it's just amazing that all these things that have happened that we've been able to do and it's helping so many other people people go down there just to see the statue and have pictures taken and it's helping a lot of other families and stuff so you know we got the SB award we got so many awards and everything else you know throughout all these years as a matter of fact we, we were the USA Triathlon Hall of Fame this last Arizona we're the first father and son team to ever get it in the world. And we're the first ones to do the Ironman triathlon in the world. As a duo. As a duo, yeah.
0: Amazing. Absolutely amazing. So, I mean again, like I said, you guys have, have been so inspirational and, and you know, it all started from a fifteen year old boy saying, Daddy, I want to do a race. So um Incredible! Thank you so so much. I'm going to let you guys go because I know that you know this has been a little bit longer than we talked about. But I really appreciate it, and um, I will let you guys know when I put this out.
1: Oh, well, I appreciate it. I'd love to see a copy of it too. It's awesome. It was. It's been great talking to, you and I really appreciate talking to you compared to a lot of other people I talked to.